I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I love the fact that we're able to bring you such an array of people within the world of education and and cover so many different areas. And today I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you Brett Wigdorts. Now, Brett's lifelong mission is to help every child access an excellent education. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tiny.co, a digital platform and operating system that enables micro-entrepreneurs to launch and run childcare businesses from their homes and giving families access to quality, affordable and flexible early years education. He is also the non-executive chairman of the National Citizens Service Trust, the largest youth programme in the UK for those on the cusp of adulthood. He wrote the original business plan for Teach First and led the organisation for 15 years, helping to build it into one of the UK's leading movements to tackle education inequality and the largest graduate recruiter in the country. He was co-founder and was deputy CEO for Teach For All, which has brought the model to over 50 countries around the world. He is also a trustee and co-founder of Teach First Israel and the UK Fair Education Alliance and on the board of Bite Back 2030, aiming to reduce youth obesity. He received an OBE for his services to education in 2012. So you can see with a CV like that, we had a lot to talk about. So I really hope you enjoy this, my conversation with Brett Wigdors. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always interesting, I think, to hear the voice behind the the names in the organizations that people may well have heard, heard about and also in terms of sort of new strategies and new ideas that you're able to to bring to the world of education so yeah thanks so much for being here today yeah thanks for having me i'm excited to be here so why don't we start with with the latest thing that, that you're involved in in terms of tiny and tell us a little bit about a bit, the history of that and exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve with it yeah, sure. I mean, so about 20 years ago, I started a charity. Um, some of your listeners might, might have heard of Teach First, which um, recruits top graduates to teach in, in schools in disadvantaged circumstances, builds a leadership movement. And I, I led that for 15 years and spent a lot of time in schools all over the country and, and around the world as we got that global. Um, and then a few years ago, I, I really started getting interested in early years and thinking, you know, all my time in secondary schools and primary schools, really a big um, area of the problem starts uh, much younger in, in early years, the gap that exists between uh, different children um, when in their education. And when you look at early years, you know, there's a real problem in that there's a real shortage of, of great early years educators um, in England, but but almost all over the world. And there's lots of reasons for this. I mean, um, you know, a big reason is, is salaries are very low. Uh, especially in nurseries where uh, salaries are, you know, minimum wage or sometimes even below minimum wage at, at different points. Um, and there's not really often enough of a feeling of professional development and, and support in, in many areas of early years. So that made me think, is there a way to change this? And I got really interested in childminding. 
And for um, listeners who, who don't know, a lot of people don't know the difference is um, nannies um, obviously are, are um, people who just come in someone's house and usually very expensive and, and they aren't um, eligible for government payment schemes usually. And they you know don't have to follow any Ofsted regula- regulations or earlier foundation stage or anything. Then you have nurseries, um, which, as I said, usually pay pretty low because they struggle to make the numbers work. And then you have child minding, which which I think is actually a really exciting job. There used to be 100,000 of them. Now there's only about 35,000. And um, I think there's you know interesting reasons why the numbers dropped. But those are earlier educators who work from their own home, take uh, a few kids at a time, follow the earlier foundation stage framework, have to follow Ofsted um, regulations and safeguarding and everything, you know, are eligible for all the government payment schemes and everything and um, provide a really high quality um, earliest experience for children and, and for parents, where it's usually less expensive than other other um, examples. So I started looking at why does child money numbers drop so much over the last 20 years and what can we do to turn that around? And that's what led me to start Tiny as a way to support child minders and um, grow the numbers of child minders back to where they used to be and where they should be. And, and and in terms of a sort of a, a development of that, is it just a question, do you think, of having that framework in terms of being able to sort of entice people back because they obviously have a passion and a vocation for it and that desire to want to help and support, but wouldn't necessarily know how to take those first steps initially necessarily? Or, or, or is, it, is it a bit more complex than that? Yeah, it's both. I mean, you know, I think I sometimes people just look online how to become a childminder and it's it's really complicated. Um, and there's not enough um, organizations or people out there really helping people start the profession or really explaining how you can make a really successful business out of it. Um, so, you know, what we've done is we've created a really tech-based approach where um, we really focused with my co-founders who, who have a real um, digital experience in building a really good digital product and app that helps people um, um, train and register as a child minor going through all the checks and knowledge and everything, really high quality. And then once they're up and running, it, it does everything um, from helping them with billing and, and government payment schemes and um, and contracts, helping them follow earlier's foundation stage framework on a daily basis, reports to parents, a community. We've built a really strong community around Tiny. So our child minors do things together every week and with really good continuous professional development, um, help you know with assistance if they want to bring assistance on board, lots of other support. And, and the idea is we're trying to create a really exciting community, professional community, where child minors get the help they need to run a you know, really good business and be really great earlier as educators. And, and that's what we've been building. And what I love about this is the fact that I think many people who are in a vocational setting and certainly in education is they see themselves as someone who is just giving all the time and they want to do the best they possibly can for the young people, no, no matter what age they're teaching or involved in. But of course, you are a business, even if even if your salary to some extent, you've got to look after yourself as well. Mm-hmm. But certainly, like I say, if you're self-employed, um, certainly if you're setting up a business in, in sort of the scenario that we're talking about there, that's not necessarily something one you've had access or training in before and also not necessarily something that you know how to have a solid foundation for, which will give you that success going forward. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, what I've seen about many child minors out there and I was thinking, why are the numbers dropping? when actually it's a really great job. And, you know, I think people, first of all, need to look at it differently in a more of a 2020s type way. 
um, that, you know, it is a great job that you can do from your home. People are using Airbnb to rent out their homes in different ways. And, and if you could work from your own home, you could be much more flexible, take care of your own family, earn a good salary and all of that. Um, but it's really difficult to run the business. And there's lots of people out there who are really good earlier educators. Uh, um, there's literally hundreds of thousands of, of people in Britain who love working with small children, are very good at it, you know, have the skills around it, the patience, the organization, everything you need to be a great early years educator, um, but maybe don't have the experience running successful businesses, or maybe that's the part that scares them or how to, you know, also feeling very lonely. Child mining can be a very lonely profession, but want to feel part of a proper community that's doing a lot of things together. So um, that's what we're trying to do. People like that who, you know, have the inherent skills of loving working with small children and, and having the joy of doing that day in, day out. Um, but maybe don't have the the business skills or the community, you know, community around them that they need to really be successful. Um, and in terms of, of the business itself, I mean, I guess that that grows in terms of the number of children that you can look after. And I guess that depends on the space the in the environment that you're able to work with. So just talk us sort of through that a little bit in terms of sort of the range of people within your community and, and how they've sort of started up and expanded. Yeah, I mean, we've had a real assortment. So we definitely have some of our childminders who maybe have a small child of their own or just want to do it as a small business, maybe like 30 hours a week and take care of two or three children at a time. And, you know, that works for many people. We have on the other extreme some who have a number of assistants. You're allowed to bring on some assistants to, to help you. And and we help them, you know, find assistants and onboard them and support the assistants. And, you know, as a business, they're earning 120 or 130,000 pounds a year, you know, because they maybe have uh, 10 or 12 children um, at their house. And, and obviously you need a bit more space for that. Um, but it's a real assortment of, you know, what people want out of this. And in terms of what um, a childminder offers... Is there also that combination of kind of, like say, the flexibility and the support for parents in terms of, of hours, in mm. terms of, you know, when, when your day starts, when it finishes, and, and how much kind of flexibility can you build that in as your own personal business? And how much do you think is sort of expected for, for someone who's looking for a childminder? Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, parents are looking. So what, what are parents? I mean, first of all, parents are looking for high quality um, early years care. And, and just flat out, there's a real problem in England right now, finding affordable, high quality, you know, safeguarded earlier's um, education. You know, it's very difficult for, for many parents just to find that in an affordable way. Usually child minors are cheaper than nurseries, you know, maybe about 10 to 20% cheaper. Um, but even more important, they're more flexible than nurseries. Um, they're um, usually closer to the parents' homes than nurseries. And it's a much more of a family type atmosphere where uh, the child minder almost has like a number of kids there and it's treated like a family. And, and there's been a lot of evidence that shows that's much better for children, small children, than them entering an institution, you know, at, at too young an age, that child minors are better for their development. Um, but the flexibility is a really important part of it. You know, parents often are working all sorts of hours and shifts and things and need child mining support, you know, not nurseries, you know, often will just say you know, nine to five or eight to four. And that often doesn't fit with what families need. And I think also one of the things we know is that, you know, you have to get into full-time education, <laughs> I'd say earlier and earlier, but certainly now, you know, sort of even if you've had nothing before, you know, once you hit four, you're going to be in school and and that kind of thing. So uh, have, having, like I say, that sort of extension of home in that kind of family-based learning environment, I think, like I say, does have so many benefits. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, early years education obviously isn't, you know, sitting at a desk learning calculus or something like that, but it's it's basic things that a lot of children struggle with in school. 
around following directions, you know, basic directions around playing, around just having a really, you know, being able to play with others, being able to interact with others in a positive way, being able to communicate your own needs. You know, those are some really powerful things that that children learn with the childminder. Um, and just take us into that kind of, like say, that history of of Teach First and all that kind of thing. How's that kind of shown your sort of business development for this particular thing or, or sort of those sort of c- compare and contrast kind of situations? Yeah, I mean, Teach First started 20 years ago and, and we started quite small, but over 15 years it grew. And, and now, you know, we're in schools all over the country. Um, we're in about 60 countries around the world. There's partner programs all over the place. And I think it was just building um, in some ways, you know, this is similar, almost uh, teach first for child minding in some ways mm-hmm. is, you know, what we saw is there, you know, in 2002, what there was a massive shortage of, of teachers, especially in disadvantaged London schools. Uh, we visited a lot of London schools at the time, you know, 20 years ago, where many of the heads just could not find um, people to fill spots, let alone, you know, good, talented teachers. And I think um, what we saw was actually there was a lot of really talented people out there who would make great teachers, but weren't thinking of it as a profession, even though it met a lot of the need, their needs and a lot of things they were interested in. You know, I mean, teaching at its core is a really great job um, and it's really, you know, fulfilling. And I think that's the same with child minding. There's a lot of people out there who would make great child minders, who would find it a really fulfilling job, um, you know, and really enjoy it. But for some reason, they're not doing it right now. And we're trying to figure out, okay, what's holding them back? How can we support them to start, you know, in that profession and be successful once they once they start? And I think that kind of idea of, of learning in the round is something that I, th- I think is really, really important. And no matter what the age of the child or, or where you sort of got those touch points. And I think also that community idea with family um, and like I say, th- what we're talking about here is that sort of extended family and then going into more formal education. I think the more that it's very child focused, the better. And I think this to me, when you're starting from that sense of, of understanding that you're creating a business, but you still have that kind of vocational mindset, that's probably mm-hmm. the best of every world, really. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and I mean, to be a successful child minor, you have to enjoy it, right? You have to enjoy working with kids. Otherwise, um, if, if you don't enjoy working with small kids, it's not a good job for you. But luckily, <laughs> a lot of people do really enjoy that absolutely <laughs> and and there's someone who's worked with small children and has had small children yeah like you say it's uh it, it's it's full-on and incredibly rewarding but like you say it kind of takes that personality trait to want to spend as much time with that as, as, as you possibly can do um so in terms of going forward what is it that you're looking for is it just a question of attracting more people and showing them that there's a way there like say whether it's 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 sort of part-time with a few hours or or, or creating that full-time employment yeah, I mean, that that's where we are. You know, there's tons of demand from parents. So, you know, we know people are really looking for child minding. What we're trying to do is open up the idea of being a child minder to a wider audience out there. And, and, you know, maybe some of your listeners or people they might know who actually be really good child minders, you know, maybe have been seeing it up to now. It's like an old fashioned thing that, that their grandmother might have done. We want to say, actually, this is a great, like, you know, modern job uh, that meets many needs that can be really fulfilling, professional development, you know, and... Yeah, that it's a great role that, you know, there's a lot of need for in this country. And uh, hopefully we can get more and more people to do it. And just take us into that sort of, like you said, you sort of mentioned that digital platform and that kind of interaction. So anybody that's sort of keen on doing this and wants to get involved, what's their kind of, what what they see as they sort of hit the website as they then sign up and, and how the community works and that sort of interaction for them all? Yeah, I mean, when you hit the website, it I think it's pretty clear, you know, how, how to apply. And then one of our 
advisor, one of our one of our team will will help walk people through it. And then it's very app based. So you know you go through um, the app, which you should download, and um, step by step, you know it teaches you um, everything you need to know to be a childminder. It helps walk you through all the checks and everything you need. There's a lot of um, background checks. And then once that's all passed, um, one of our team will do a video call with you to make sure your site's okay. And then in the end, an actual um, you know in-person visit just to to you know, which is the final step before a registration or a license. And then you get a, you know, a, um, a license that a tiny um, registration, which, which is recognized by Ofsted. Um, and uh, then you're legally allowed to childmind. And I think that kind of peace of mind from everyone involved, one knowing you're fully up to date and you have everything that you need. And I guess this is an ongoing process, isn't it? Because if as things change and you need to, an update or something or there's a government something that you want to make sure that you, you're up to speed with, you have all of that within that community setting as well. And from a parental point of view, knowing that you have somewhere that just gives you what what you need with that with that kind of understanding and organisation just sort of gives that peace of mind as opposed to we need somebody is it just word of mouth do i know someone around my local area and then if that fails how do i find the next person so i guess it is that kind of sort of like I say confirmed and sort of supportive touch base of, of where to head in the first place yeah that's right yeah and then and then kind of so, you know it support once you're up and running um because it's a hard job i mean it's not you know it's not straightforward and um we want to make it much easier for people yeah no it makes perfect sense um so one of the things i'm often interested in is is sort of how how your sort of education experience sort of fits into that sort of back history in terms of business and obviously it's people that are working in education so is there an education experience or a teacher or someone that you remember that kind of has had an impact on you and, and maybe how that's kind of worked into how your sort of professional journeys develop from there um, yeah, obviously, I mean, like, like so many people, um, we used to say to teach first, you know, you never forget your, your favorite teacher, right? I, I think you could ask anyone on the street and, um, there's not many jobs like that. You know, people don't often remember their favorite, whatever, any other job, but teacher they do. Um, and I, I can certainly think of a few. I mean, I had a, um, wonderful teacher in, uh, you know, when I was 17, who was my economics teacher, who really got me excited about that. Um, when I was about 11, I had a, a wonderful teacher I just saw a few years ago, actually, and uh, um, who, um, you know, kind of ran all these after school clubs um, around uh, entrepreneurship. And, you know, I was in her math class and, and others and got me really excited about, um, you know, starting a starting a business, starting an organization. And I think that, you know, probably lit the bug that led to Teach First and Tiny. Um, so, you know, and I, I told her that, which was really nice to see her a few years ago. Um, so, you know, I think I've had a few great teachers. Those would be the two that I think really changed my life and that I don't know if I would have become an entrepreneur without her. I don't know if I would have, at university, I studied economics. I don't know if I would have done that. I probably wouldn't have without, you know, my, my secondary school teacher. So, um, yeah, those were two that definitely changed my life. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that no matter where, where, where these touch points are, you're never quite sure where that's going to take you or indeed, like, say, how it's going to influence anybody. It can be the passion that this teacher has about the subject it may be the connection that you have personally um and all the, and all of those sorts of things sort of put together and i'm, I'm curious but you know we're, we're talking specifically sort of about sort of young children here today but i know you're involved in the national um citizen service trust tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that and that sort of different age group and, and how that sort of fits in yeah. with sort of education ethos as it were of what yeah. we're trying to do for young people. yeah it's something i've really enjoyed so I'm, I'm the chairman of the national citizen service trust and, and we work with young people 16 year olds so it's a different different part of the young young person uh, 
Uh, I'm not allowed to call them kids or children. I have to call them young people because at 16, they're no longer a child, really. Um, and it's something that has been really exciting to support. We you know, work with hundreds of thousands of 16-year-olds across the country. It's the, it's the largest um, program in Europe for, for that age group. And what the point is really to bring um, young people together from different backgrounds, from different experiences, and um, help them really understand a bit more about themselves, about their community, and how they can make uh, social change happen. And it's, um, yeah, it's been, you know, a really uh, successful national program. And, uh, you know, COVID was quite difficult, obviously, because we weren't able to do a lot in person. But, you know, this summer, we're, we're doing quite a lot uh, around the country and this autumn, and um, we're moving into lots of different ways that these 16-year-olds can work together. And I think it's really important because my experience at Teach First was that visiting schools across the country, many young people I met only knew people from their own communities or from their own uh, small geographic area. And I think, you know, anything that can help people mix a bit more or really learn from each other, I think, can be really important. Um, and how do you get people involved? Because one of the things that I certainly notice with, with young people is um, I, I guess their life expands through clubs and organizations that they might have had up to up to a, up to a certain age. But then there's also a sense of. I'm doing life because I have to. And I think that's kind of a symptom of being at school and <laughs> having to go and doing doing life in a, in, a, in a certain way. And I think people who get involved in this sort of thing, you know, having that breadth and that understanding, you know, specifically sort of, of service and meeting other people um, is, is so incredibly important. But how do you sort of get people to take that extra step of, of not just doing life as it deems it, it can be and what you have to do and actually you know taking responsibility and wanting to find out more and expand in a way that you just described i mean for for the young people or for um, yeah for, them, for the young um, people to sort of want to get involved in, yeah. in and sort of take i mean part. my experience is young people get really excited about it i mean like um you know i think um society you know we often underestimate what teenagers are capable of and the more leadership possibilities you give them the more responsibility you give them the better i often often think that, you know, as society, we've moved backwards a bit, where teenagers used to have a lot more responsibility than they have now. And I don't think, um, I think it's a mistake, you know, and I, I've seen that in many organizations I've been involved with, but NCS is one of them, where once you start, you know, giving teenagers and young people a bit more responsibility and a bit more, um, you know, ability to make change, they get very excited about about that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think in some ways it's pushing on an open door, actually. Yeah, and 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 is it sort of through through school that you make those sort of first contacts and 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 that sort of an initial kind yeah, of yeah, a lot of the NCS is is through school. Um, there's all sorts of other ways they find out about NCS. Um, you know, um, but yeah, young people we advertise in different places and through different clubs and, and organizations also. I, th I think that's great for people listening, like say, who have young people in their life that they're, they're wanting to help and support and to sort of, uh, I think it's again a little bit like tiny, you know, having somewhere that you know is set up and geared towards what the, the needs that you that you want and able to support people that kind of, I just think that that initial touch point and the initial sort of first step into doing something which an organization can then just sort of open this entire world that you wouldn't know without it is, is something which is very, very special for people. Yeah, no, definitely. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I guess talking about helping young people, maybe what was a piece of advice you give your younger self now, sort of looking mm. back as a as, as an older Brett? Yeah, um, yeah, it's so hard to pick one piece of advice. I mean, I, I was, you know, I always think, um, you know, for I think as you as you go through life, right, there's you get a few opportunities. There's only a few, and it's good to try to take advantage of any opportunities that are out there. I think, I think. Um, 
you know, sometimes just showing up is half the battle. And uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, worry about not being good enough or, or turning down opportunities they have. Um, but I think, you know, it is often just showing up and actually, um, you know, trying trying new opportunities that really opens up lots of doors, you know. And I think Teach First is an example where I, I don't know if I would have been the best person to lead at that point. But there were, you know, it was the right time and I was in the right place. And, and I think I, I took advantage of that. And I think, um, yeah, that, that would be one piece of advice I'd always give people. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think that the thing that often people forget is the fact that even if you well, you have to take you have to take that step and actually get that experience. One to know whether you love it and you're great at it, or actually maybe it's something you don't want, you don't want to be involved in further. But unless you actually do it and and you kind of have that experience, you you don't know. And I know certainly for me, it's often knowing what you don't want to do, or or, or realizing that you want to go in a different direction that kind of narrows down those options to sort of like say help you put that best foot forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think people should try more things, quite frankly, you know, I mean, how, um, especially, I think I saw it at Teach First, NCS, a lot of young people like don't really know what they want to do, you know, have an idea based on maybe from their families or from their communities. But, you know, I just would love, you know, if we're living longer lives, hopefully a lot of teenagers today will be living to 100 years old or older, you know, even, um, they're going to have a lot of different jobs and careers in their lives. And the more opportunities they have, you know, and the more they, they can learn throughout the, their life, the better. So um, yeah, I would say try to take advantage of as many opportunities as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's why I liked the, the tiny idea so much. It's like, say, you can have different careers, different businesses, different setups, depending on, on where you are in your life and, 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 and what it is that you're able to support people with. And I think having that mindset that there, there, there's a solution out there, there are people out there. And I think more and more, there's a community out there for whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And I think understanding that as your sort of seasons of life change, or maybe what your careers change, or maybe how you're setting your things up are going to change having the mindset of understanding how you can go out and get those resources and those informations and, and those communities that you know are going to be really, really supportive. Like you say, probably many times over as you sort of, like say, progress through hopefully to 100 or more, which would be fantastic for, for those younger people going through. Um, now, resources are often really important for us. Is there anything that you'd like to share? And it could be anything from a podcast, a book, a video, song, something which has had an impact or, or something which you think would be helpful for people? Gosh, uh, so many good things. I mean, it's interesting seeing in the 100 years, I read a book a year ago, The 100 Year Life, which did make what is an interesting book about, you know, as as lifespans grow and, you know, people work older, you know, how to think about life in a different way around learning, lifelong learning. And I, I just think, um, yeah, that, that's a great book, um, you know, based on what we're talking about, I would say. Yeah, I love that, and I, and I, and I love the, the the whole sort of age of of spectrums that we've covered today, from that yeah, kind right, of from tiny all the way through. It's but it's all life. It just happens to be where you happen to be exactly. meeting at any given to time. Teenagers to hundred year old uh, people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> centenarians, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and the acronym FIRE is incredibly important to us here at Education on Fire. And and those words which are which are important to us are feedback, inspiration resilience and empowerment and i'm always keen to know what's your sort of first thought on the on those four words and, and maybe which one sort of speaks to you the most or you feel is the most important so that's feedback inspiration resilience and empowerment feedback inspiration um empowerment and what was uh resilience resilience oh gosh yeah um well, I mean, resilience is very important, right? I mean, um, I mean, I would say from my experience, often the 
difference between people who succeed at something and fail are those who just, like I say, those who show up and, you know, have that resilience and don't give up. I mean, um, you know, you often think, gosh, why is someone in a certain role when they're not necessarily the best person? Often it's because they've had the resilience and they haven't given up while a lot of other people have along the way. And I, I wouldn't underestimate how important it is to to just not give up. Um, you know, I think I think that takes you pretty far, actually. Um you know, all the way. And, and, you know, obviously feedback is, is about constant improvement. I mean, if we're talking about a hundred year life and a hundred year, you know, a long-term career, you have to be improving the whole way. The world changes, right. And something that works, you know, at one point in your career. I mean, that's, that's the difference you meet. I often meet people, you know, in their sixties, seventies, or even eighties who are very old and some who are very young at that age. I often think um, from giving a little anecdote, my great uncle, um, was a in the army, and then he was a music teacher, and then he um, he was a teacher for thirty years, and then he went to law school at the age of sixty, and graduated sixty three, and practiced law for twenty years, uh, helping human yeah. rights groups and uh, helping homeless people get benefits and all sorts of like really uh, important things. And um, I always give the story that he was the youngest person who was eighty year old I ever met. Had a very youthful attitude about him, and I always think, okay, when I'm eighty, I want to want to be very young like him. And I think, you know, um, going back to that whole idea of feedback, it's about constant lifelong learning, right? Getting feedback from others and, um, and uh, you know, really improving the whole time. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I love the thought of, of or someone in, in their 40s, the thought that, you know, in sort of 20 years time, I could be going back to school and learning something completely different than what I'm doing now and having this sort of whole different outlook yeah. based on a passion and, and a desire to want to support people that's what i would hope yeah i hope i can do that <laughs> um and and interestingly as you were talking about the resilience thing there, there's sort of a cartoon and an image that always comes to mind which i see on various social um media sites occasionally and it's that one where there's, there's sort of someone as if they're a miner or something trying to get the coal or the diamond or something and they're sort of pickaxing away and they've obviously come an awful long way in one direction and, and obviously because you can see both sides of this you can see that just that that you know the, the next sort of few centimeters on the picture at least you know there's there's what they're aiming for and they've obviously spent a long time getting there and you just don't quite know you just need to keep going because whatever that goal is whatever you're trying to achieve literally could be the next conversation that the, the next piece of work you do or the next connection you have which sort of opens up those doors and and that ability to know it's it could be literally the next thing that happens and all the next day and ju just keep going and i think that's hard for people to do but like i say incredibly important absolutely yeah definitely um so just to finish off tell people where they can go to find out more more about tiny and um and anything else you want to make sure that they go away with understanding yeah i mean our website is tiny.co so um, we had to spell with an extra e you can think of it as early years for the ey but um yeah come to tiny.co and our you know my twitter is weekdorts at weekdorts if people want to come and uh um yeah find out more about being a childminder fantastic well brett thank you so much for chatting to us i i what well, I, I love the history and, and the experience that, that you bring to these things but I, I love that kind of the essence of being able to do that whole life learning in, in that one yeah. way and i think certainly for people maybe wanting to get into child minding you haven't done it before but thinking maybe about a career change or their life has changed and they can see that as a way forward um bringing all that expertise in and, and yeah and thanks for creating something which is going to help so many people and so many of our children even if they've not been born yet maybe with going through that sort of in, into their beginning parts of their lives so yeah so thanks so much for being here no thank you thanks nice chatting Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community.
With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.